0: So we're going to start by looking at the Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The words will be on your screen and I'm going to ask that you read them responsively with me in a few moments. As I mentioned at the start of the service, the catechism is is structured with a, a section on a short section on sin and then a a much, much longer section on uh, where we find the remedy for our sin, our salvation in Jesus Christ, our mediator, and then how we live in gratitude and service to him. And uh, as we come to Lord's Day 5 of the Catechism, we are transitioning. We are transitioning from the problem to the solution, from looking at our sin to looking at where we find salvation. But as we read the first three questions and answers, it's going to sound like we're still in our sin. We're still dealing with our sin. But then the, th- the, f- the uh, question answer 15, which is the fourth, we'll look at this, that e- this evening, we'll move into that area of salvation. We cannot really understand the need to be saved and how... Uh, how we respond in gratitude for God's salvation if we don't know how bad we are. And so that's what we've been focusing on. And we continue in that as the the catechism uh, writers ask some questions that people might have uh, about uh, the righteousness and about how this sin problem might be dealt with. So let's read those responsibly, starting with question answer 12. According to God's righteous judgment... We deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No, No. to begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is a true and righteous human, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. And then I'd have you turn with me to Psalm 49. The catechism, as you probably know, is based totally on the Bible. And so every phrase, every line in the catechism has footnotes. And the footnotes take you down to Bible passages. And so there are all kinds of footnotes, all kinds of Bible passages behind each Lord's Day. And there are lots of the traditional ones that we have, mostly in the New Testament with this Lord's Day, but there's one that's a little quirky or a little bit offbeat, I guess. And that's that's the one I decided to turn to because I'm a little quirky and offbeat. Uh, psalm 49. Psalm 49 is a psalm of one of the sons of Korah, and uh, it seems to be dealing with this, this issue that they had in wisdom literature in the Old Testament, this issue that people had, why do the rich seem to prosper? And, the, and, the, they can, and usually in wickedness, usually in the way that they come up with their money is, in, is through evil means. So, so why do the wicked, why do the, the rich people continue to prosper while the righteous poor people just can't seem to get ahead? And that's a something that you find throughout uh, wisdom literature. Now, the Sons of Korah take this on, but with an interesting twist. There's a, there's a couple of gems in this passage that we're going to focus on. So let me just read uh, the psalm, and then we'll look at those uh, gems that, that fit well with Lord's Day, uh, chapter, Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Psalm 49. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, to all who live in this world, both low and high... Rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. So it's telling us they're firmly in this wisdom literature tradition. And then they deal with one of the classic questions Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in their great riches? And then particularly these verse, verses, "...no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that they should live forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain in their houses forever." Their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They're like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They're like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. And then another verse, But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. And again, that gem in verses 7 through 9, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that they should live on forever and not see decay. Conclude our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we explore our sin and particularly what we call debt and what the catechism calls debt and even the Bible in different places calls debt, help us to understand our indebtedness to you and how to deal with the debt that, in a sense, simply cannot be paid, at least through any human being. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Debts we know about whether it's a credit card debt, an increasing problem in today's society, or loans or mortgages or other bills, debt has likely touched most of us in some way or another. Now, there's another debt we don't often think about or talk about and probably would prefer not to, and that is the national debt of the United States. It's currently over $33 trillion dollars. Did you know that there's a U.S. National Debt Clock website? It's like this big dashboard with all these numbers and things going on and things, things just running through and, and, and in the upper right hand corner is the main one, our national debt, and you can just see it accumulating. It's, uh, it's rather scary. In fact, it shows the debt actually increasing by the fraction of a second. And a, a couple of years ago, I just sat and looked at it for a while, and I timed myself, and I watched it for one minute, and our debt went up $1.4 million in that time. I imagine it's higher than that today. Well, the Heidelberg Catechism refers to our sinfulness as causing a debt to God. As our Creator, Redeemer, and King, we owe God love and obedience. But our continual sinning makes us pile up more debt, hindering our ability to pay it off. Imagine if God had a debt website for our sin, and the angels could watch how often our sin accumulates. Another scary thought. Well, given this, we might think that we're still in the sin and misery section of the catechism, but instead we've actually begun the section that sends us on our way to find a solution. The, the first three questions of Lord's Day 5 certainly keep us in our misery, but the fourth question sends us on, that, on the way to salvation. But to understand our salvation, we need to first understand the characteristics of our debt. And so that's what we're going to talk about this evening, the characteristics of our debt to God. And the first characteristic, and we'll be following each of these questions from the catechism, is that our debt is costly. Question answer 12 asks, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? And the answer God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of his justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Now, we've already begun, and we're going to continue with this temporal analogy called a debt, but then apply it to the eternal reality we have. Debts can certainly be costly. Early on in our marriage, we missed a, a credit card payment and had to pay the interest. And ever since then, we learned to be careful to pay off any credit card every month because interest can be costly. Perhaps that's why so many people have started to cut up their credit cards and, and wait till they have enough, pa- enough money to pay cash rather than take out loans. It's very easy to spend money that doesn't seem to be there which causes us to go even deeper into debt and could lead to foreclosure, bankruptcy, loss of credit. But there's another analogy the psalmist uses, and that is death. Verses 8 and 9 says, The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. In other words, death is a debt everyone owes. Death is a debt everyone owes. You can't get out of it. And the ransom for life is costly. That's really one of the main points of Psalm 49. Death is the great leveler. Both rich and poor alike will see decay. This is a story I've probably told before here. A businessman had an angel visit him and promised, him to, promised to grant him one request— So this businessman, he's pretty wise, he asked for a newspaper one year into the future so he could invest in the sure things in the stock market. As he was looking at that paper, boasting about his plans to become unbelievably rich, he happened to glance across the page and saw his picture in the obituary columns. Suddenly, in the light of his pending death, money no longer seemed important. Death is a debt we all pay. Now, of course, our obligation to God takes on eternal dimensions. Just by virtue of being created beings, not to mention being in covenant relationship with him, we owe him love and obedience. And yet the Catechism says we are rebellious and sinful. Question 12 talks about deserving punishment. And God is just. A just judge cannot just let sin go unpunished, or he wouldn't be just. Justice has to be satisfied. The debt has to be paid in full. And Paul reminds us of the, the result of our unpaid death when he says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And, of course, Paul is talking about eternal death, separation from God and under his eternal wrath and punishment. Our debt to God is costly. It's also compounded to make matters worse. Question answer 13 Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Now, someone who has a large credit card bill may say, Oh, this month I'm only going to pay the minimum amount. But then the interest compounds and, and they increasingly owe more. Whatever we don't pay continually increases until it gets out of hand. We see this with the national debt, which is continually increased to the point where we can hardly begin to pay it back. It's hard enough to even keep up with the interest. With any debt, we must stop spending before we can even think about decreasing it. Well, likewise, the Catechism reminds us that we cannot pay our debt to God because we compound it daily. Sin compounds like interest. And we can't even pay for our daily sin. We'd have to be perfect before we could even think about decreasing our debt. It's impossible. Now we're caught up in a world where regardless that our currency says in God we trust, we really put our trust in wealth, in our abilities, in ourselves. Well, the psalmist deals with those who trust in their wealth, verse 6, but notes that even they are helpless in the face of death. And we encounter the same helplessness if we try to alleviate our debt to God through our works, through what we do. What can I do to be saved? The rich young man asked Jesus. And Jesus basically replied that a good start would be to stop relying on his wealth Give it all to the poor, because there's nothing we can do on our own to pay the debt. On top of that, the debt is common. The Catechism asks in question 14, Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No, to begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin, and deliver others from it so this is really talking more about the sacrificial system and that's not an ultimate solution to our debt problem if i were the catechism writer i would have added a third uh, sentence that talks about and also you can't have humans do it because this debt is common to all unfortunately the national debt of the united states is common to all to all citizens of the united states including our children our grandchildren our great-grandchildren on into the future you know sometimes when we are indebted or we're facing uh, the need to maybe accrue a debt we try turn to someone else to help us maybe when we're just starting out in our marriage or in life we might need a parent to co-sign a loan with us but what if they had debts of their own no bank would would accept the co-signature of someone who is indebted enough not to be able to come cover someone else's debt well the same is obviously true with the analogy of death in verses seven to nine the psalmist says no one can ransom the life of another because death comes to all it's common to all and no one can pay our debt to god because everyone has the same debt it's common to all Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat, and it's not Noah's Ark. It's more like the Titanic with no lifeboats. We would need a perfect person, one who has no debt of sin himself and can bear the weight of God's wrath, his punishment, which is, of course, eternal death. And no human person qualifies. Now all this leads to question... 15 and the rest of the catechism but the fourth characteristic of the debt of our debt to god that's hinted at here is that it is canceled it's canceled it's hinted at when the catechism writers ask what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then one who is a true and righteous human yet more powerful than all creatures that is, one who is also true God. A number of years ago, the country of Mexico was over its head and borrowed money. And several major banks actually canceled the debts of Mexico just to keep the country afloat financially. It was the only way to stop the debt from increasing. But that takes someone with authority. Only the person to whom you are indebted Can cancel the debt death too says the psalmist is inevitable no one can stop it except he who holds authority over death god himself only god can redeem from death the bible has several illustrations of how he did so maybe through a prophet or jesus raising someone from the dead but even that was only temporary they died again But the psalmist hints that there is more to that redemption. In verse 15, he says, But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Obviously not knowing exactly what he was talking about in the psalm in the Old Testament, he's already looking forward to how God is going to bring about this solution. God can redeem us from eternal death as well the penalty for our unpaid debt our only hope is to have our debt canceled by god the god whom we owe and only one with authority over eternity over life and death can allow us to do so so the catechism tells us that we need a mediator who is both human and yet god and that sets us up for the next lord's day where it is revealed, spoiler alert, that Jesus Christ will relieve the debt. With the giving of his life, his blood on the cross, our debt is canceled. It's actually paid in full, covering all our future sins as well. We are now debt-free and death-free, redeemed to eternal life. So we can say with the poet John Donne, Death, be not proud, Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. The Bible and the Catechism then vividly describe our predicament, our indebtedness, so that we will not take our salvation lightly. Rather, so that we will rejoice in our Redeemer Jesus Christ and live debt-free lives of gratitude to him. When I was a young boy, I fancied myself quite a baseball pitcher destined to pitch for the Detroit Tigers, their loss. One day at a friend's house, we were tossing stones onto the roof of his house. Well, actually, we were trying to pitch them over the roof. And with, on one toss, I wound up with my best pitching motion and hurled the rock as hard as I could Well, you know those big-picture windows that some houses have? My aim was a little low, and the rock crashed through the expensive picture window. I had no idea what to do. I had no money to pay for it. I was sure I'd never be allowed to go there again, play with my friend again. Well, I don't know all the ins and outs. I haven't asked him, but Dad apparently took care of it, Um, perhaps paying for it, perhaps working something else out, since there was no way I could. Do you think I was happy? Grateful? Absolutely. I I hope. I went out of my way to be kind and show my dad gratitude. Don't ask him. I don't want to know if I didn't do that. But that's the way we should normally respond. If If someone pays off a large debt for us, that should be our reaction. Jesus paid the largest debt imaginable, eternal debt, bigger actually than the national debt, which is just money after all. What is our attitude toward him? Just think, in God's eyes, Jesus has stamped our debt paid in full. How will we respond in grateful service to him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the great debt that you paid. We pray now that we might uh, be able to focus our attention on our gratitude and and live a life of service to you for what you have done for us and along the way to let others know about the one who cancels debt too. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond by singing together Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Number 363, if you're following along, lift up your your hearts and we'll sing the three stanzas. Let's stand as we sing.